If you're a note taker, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. The secret things belong to our God. There are some things that I'm never going to know, at least this side of heaven. There's a lot of things that I'm not going to know. I only have a smidgen of knowledge. I'm only going to live a certain amount of years on this planet, and then my time here will be over. So God has given certain things, and you could say the certain things that he's given is to navigate this life and to prepare you for the ultimate future, your ultimate destiny to be with the Lord. And so there are certain things that he's disclosed to us. There are secret things that belong to our God, but there are things revealed that belong to us. We have 66 books. God has given us a revelation. He's given us his word, partly to navigate the times in which we live and partly, of course, to prepare us for the future. In Daniel 1, if you look back for a second, Daniel was given some uh, knowledge and gifting from the Lord that will kind of uh, blend into chapter 2. It says, uh, Daniel 1.17, And as for these four youths, that's Daniel and his three companions, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. And Daniel, notice, Daniel 1.17, even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Go down to verse 20. And as for every matter of wisdom, Daniel 1.20, and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. Now Daniel had wisdom from God. You could call it mental acumen. He was given wisdom, intellect about different subjects. But he was also given a spiritual gift. And spiritual gifts are from the Lord. In fact, the Holy Spirit gives gifts to the body as he desires. Each one of you tonight have at least one spiritual gift. It could be the gift of teaching. It could be the gifts of helps. It could be word of knowledge, word of wisdom. There are many gifts that God gives. Some of you have the gift of administration. Some of you have the gift of mercy. Some of you have the gift of giving. Whatever that gift is, here's the one responsibility that you have with that gift. To engage it. To employ that gift in serving one another with the manifold grace of God. And so, know what your gift is. And we do have a spiritual gifts class if you haven't been through this before. And then put it into practice. There, it is possible, according to certain verses in the New Testament, to put your gift on the shelf to not be using that spiritual gift. And I would just tell you, if you are, if you're not using your spiritual gift, can I be so bold as to say you are wasting your life? Ooh, that sounds hard, doesn't it? But I would tell you, if you're not using your gift for the glory of God and the extension of the kingdom of God, I would ask some questions about your priorities. And so uh, Daniel has been given this gifting. And remember, Daniel is only a teenager. Uh, the things that Daniel and his buddies do in this book, I'm not sure. I'm in my 50s. I'm not sure that I would have the courage to do in my 50s, let alone to be 16 or 18 and be doing these kinds of exploits of faith. So I hope that as you walk with us through this book of Daniel, you will dare to be a Daniel. I pray more than that. I pray you'll determine to be a Daniel. I pray that we'll learn lessons that we'll apply in our lives. And we're going to learn that God is sovereign even over dreams. 
I think it was Warren Wearsby who titles this chapter in his commentary, He, God, is the God of dreams and destinies. And a dream is going to come to Nebuchadnezzar tonight, as we'll see in this chapter. And the dream is from God, the interpretation is from God, and God has a plan behind it. Now, some of you may have some questions about dreams. Does God uh, speak to people in dreams? Well, he did in the past, and if you uh, want to go back and get this, I did a little concordance search, and I, I can't take the time to go slow, but we see God speaking to people in dreams in Genesis 20, verse 3 and 6, Genesis 28, 12, 31, 10 and 11, 31, 24, Genesis 37, 5 through 10, in the life of Joseph and Pharaoh, Genesis 40, 5 through 9 and 16, Genesis 41, 1 through 7, Numbers 12, verse 6, Judges 7, 13 through 15, 1 Kings 3, 5 through 15, in Daniel 2, as we're going to see tonight, and even in Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2, Joel chapter 2 and Acts 2, 17. God speaks in dreams. But the primary way in which God speaks to us today is through His Word and through His Holy Spirit. I don't give much thought to dreams. A lot of the dreams that we dream, we don't even remember. But some of you have had some vivid dreams, and you've probably wondered about those dreams. And I, I've had a few over my lifetime that I think could have been from God. I had one. We were going on a, with another pastor and his wife and family. We're going to go on a little uh, um, trip to the lake. And uh, I had a dream, and uh, my son, who... Uh, is running the soundboard, was the subject of that dream. His name is Nathan. I had a dream that we were on a boat and Nathan got pierced through with a piece of wood through his middle section. And it, it would just alarm me. And he was a little boy at the time. This was many years ago. And it was just so frightening and so staggering that it was so vivid. And I woke up from that dream and I couldn't shake it. I just kept remembering the, the picture or the scene of something going through my son. But I kept it to myself. I didn't say anything. And we were going to go on this lake trip. Uh, I think it was, you know, I had the dream on like a Monday and we were going to leave for the lake on like a Friday. So we got to the lake and we were searching for a place to beach it, you know, put our chairs and all of our stuff. And we looked around. We looked at all these different places. And finally we found a spot where it was fairly open, you know, not a lot of other people around. And so we pulled the boat up and there was a little kind of... Uh, the beach went like this, and then it dropped off, and the kids were excited, and they were running down and kind of flopping into the water. And as I was watching this go on, we're unpacking the boat, and I looked, and there was a huge branch laying there with a, a piece sticking out of it, and it kind of looked pointed at the end. And the, the kids were running past it, and they were falling kind of out of control. And I went, <gasps> my dream! <laughs> And I quickly told the other pastor, hold on, before we do anything else, let's grab this log. And we grabbed the log, carried it away from our children, turned the jagged part down into the sand. And I was like, Whew. And look, I do think that God can speak to us in dreams. He's done it in the past. But I would be extremely careful because the book of Jeremiah says that the prophets, the false prophets of old, said they would have a dream, and then they would lie about God. And they would tell something false about God. And there's even an implication that perhaps 
there's some demonic activity involved in there. I don't understand everything about it, but if someone has a dream and they tell that dream and it's not from God or it says to follow other gods or lead you in a false direction, that's not of the Lord. That could even be demonic so-called wisdom as we saw in the book of James. So you have to be very careful. Your primary source for getting truth and understanding the way you are to walk is the Bible. And some people say, why does God speak to certain people in dreams? Because some people don't listen when they're awake. <laughs> Let's face it. <laughs> some of you, it's hard to get your attention when you're, you know, doing your thing during the day, right? So maybe God has to speak to some of us in dreams. But again, I would qualify. I think that's pretty much something he did in the, in the past. But I will say this. We have heard stories of Muslims having dreams about Jesus in the Middle East from pretty reputable sources and having Jesus reveal himself in dreams. We've heard missionary stories about this. So while I would admit to you that it's not the norm, I refuse to put God in a box. And God can speak however he wants to speak. I would just make sure you test all things by the word of God. Now, in the second year, this is Daniel 2.1, of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, remember, Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. I think most scholars date the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar at about 603 B.C. So if you're interested, you can note that, 603 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. Notice the dream uh, is plural, dreams. And his spirit or his mind was troubled and his sleep left him. He could not sleep. That's Daniel 2, verse 1. Now, we don't know if the chronology is consecutive here from the end of Daniel 1 to Daniel 2. Sometimes the Bible, when you move to, from chapter to chapter, is not necessarily moving in chronological order. Some of the chapters can overlap. Some chapters could even go back and tell a story that happened Earlier, And so you have to be careful that you don't get into a trap of thinking it's consecutive. I don't know if Daniel and his buddies have completed the three years of training and assimilation in Babylon. It's possible. We don't know for sure. There's a few issues with this date. If it's indeed the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, but Daniel and his buddy had three years of training. Now, some say that if you look at the dating, maybe they didn't count a partial year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, and there's some different ways to look at it. I would just tell you, go to the commentaries. I think you can find some satisfaction there. I don't see it as that big of a deal. But Daniel does tell us that the reign, the dream came in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. And it is interesting just to note that the Bible does not give you a chronology like once upon a time this happened or, you know, uh, somewhere, some, sometime, this. No, it gives you historical figures that can be verified outside of the Bible. So there's been things found about Nebuchadnezzar outside of Scripture. And so you can kind of look at the dates and you can align, if you will, biblical and secular history. And so Nebuchadnezzar has dreams. It seems like it's multiple dreams. And he's troubled and his sleep left him. And he awoke in the middle of the night is what it looks like. Now, sometimes we have a troubling dream 
and we awake from that dream, and we, we sometimes, maybe you guys can bear witness to this, sometimes you have a tough time remembering the essence of the dream. Like something shook you, but you're like, what was that about? Or you might have a good dream, like something good's happening. Like usually for me, I'm on the Dodgers playing shortstop, batting third, and, you know, I'm making, pulling down, you know, 25 million a year, and I don't want to wake up from the dream. I'm like, no, no, I want to go back to sleep right now. You ever been there before? Whatever your dream is, your good dream is. But sometimes we dream something and we feel the uh, stress of the dream or the excitement of the dream, perhaps, if it's something positive, but we don't remember all the details. And have you ever found that if you wake up and you don't really try to remember it, like immediately it's gone? That's just kind of the nature of how we dream. There's a whole mystery in the world of dreaming. And so we find out later in Daniel 2.29, skip ahead for a second, what was happening. It says, as for you, O king, this is when Daniel's going to tell him the meaning. While on your bed, your thoughts turned to what would take place in the future. Remember I told you fear of the future is big for many people, including pagan kings like Nebuchadnezzar. And he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. Now, Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar that the dream's from God. And God, who's the revealer of mysteries, is revealing the future to Nebuchadnezzar. And it tells us in verse 29 that when Nebuchadnezzar went to bed that night, he was concerned about the future. And he's probably wondering things like you and I all wonder, what's going to happen? What's my future look like? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's just become the king of Babylon. He might be wondering, what's the future of my kingdom? What, what's the future of my reign? How long will this last? All of those things. And he's going to get some answers from this dream about successions of Gentile nations beyond his own time. And so he was worried. He had just won the Battle of Carchemish, according to history. And even though he had come off some victories, he was still worried and I think you and I can all uh, say that even when things are going well, when we go to bed at night and we put our head on the pillow, you know, sometimes we, we work through a number of different things that are on our mind. It could be something that happened during the day. It could be a question we have. It could be a job offer. It could be a question about our career or some important relationship to us. We might have a child on our heart or a grandchild. There's so many different things that can spin around at night. In fact, uh, they say that there's a lot of insomniacs, and some of you may be an insomniac in our world, and there's a lot of people who listen to radio all night long or watch television at night because they're insomniacs. And usually that's because they are rotating things in their brain that, you know, are maybe worries or concerns or some of you are analyzers. And when you're going through something, you would dissect something up and down and left and right. And what are the, and what are this? And, and, and then you say, honey, are you asleep? And they say, not anymore. What's your problem? Well, I'm trying to work through something and go to sleep. What's wrong with you? Count sheep. And you're like, 99, 98. <laughs> you know? And you've heard the old saying, instead of counting sheep, talk to the shepherd, right? And so we all go through this. We're human. I don't know what makes you rest easy at night. When you put your head on the pillow, what puts you at peace? What gives you shalom? I'll tell you what makes me rest easy every night. My Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
I've entrusted my life to him. I know to whom I belong, and I, and I am confident that he's able to keep what I've entrusted to him until that day. And that's how I rest easy at night. I don't know how the rest of the world does it, but there's certain people that can't even go to sleep without taking a pill or a drink or whatever. Nebuchadnezzar was wondering about the future even in the wake of victories over Egypt that he had just won in Car at Carchemish, his capturing of Jerusalem, becoming the ruler of Babylon. One writer says, Why has there come to me at the very best and highest moments of my life the strange and disturbing thought that even this might be the material of tragedy? Why is so much that is good and beautiful marked so deeply and indelibly with clear signs of instability and frailty. Victory, we would say, is sweet, but it's also fleeting. We know it deep inside. We cannot hide for long in the shadow of our victories because we are reminded that it's all temporary and we live on a temporary planet with a temporary mortal existence, right? And so this is what we all face. This is what philosophers and theologians call the human dilemma. We all have to face it. The deep questions, the, we might even put them in the category of mysteries about life and death and the future. What are we to make of it? Well, we know that Jesus called Daniel a prophet in Matthew 24, 15, and we know the book of Daniel speaks to this. And so here's the troubled king, Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe he's in his little nightcap. He's got a big N on it for Nebi. Remember, you know, he's, he's pretty, he's got a lot of money and he's got a lot of fame, right? He's got his jammies on. And he wakes up with a cold sweat. And the king, verse 2, gives orders to call the magicians, the conjurers or the enchanters, the astrologers, the sorcerers and the Chaldeans to tell his dreams to tell, to tell the king his dream. So they came and stood before the king. So all the guys woke up in the middle of the night. They're all in their pajamas, right? What is it, king? What is it? What is it? You had a bad dream. Oh, I'm sorry. You want us to make it some warm milk? You want your blankie? Right? What's, what's wrong, Nebi? And Nebuchadnezzar, man, he's frazzled. He calls the magicians. That, that's the cartomi, the horoscopist, the... Ones who draw magical lines or circles. The, they learn the sacred writings of the Babylonians. The conjurers. This is uh, the asha. This is uh, those who practice enchantment and astrology. The sorcerers is kashaf or kashap. It's those who practice magic or sorcery. They enchant. They use witchcraft. They whisper spells. And the Chaldeans are probably a class of wise men. Remember, 600 years later, wise men will come from the east and they will say, where is he who is born king of the Jews, right? They come to King Herod. How did they know about a prophecy? Because Daniel was in Babylon and Daniel was able to spread the news about the coming Messiah. And so each of the separate departments, if you will, of the wise men of Babylon are called. These guys are supposed to be those who possess knowledge of divination. They could divine the future or the past or even the present. They could understand omens. They could expound on dreams and prodigies. They were skillful in casting horoscopes. This is what they had on their resume. So if you're the king, who are you going to call? 
You're going to call the people who are supposed to be experts in these kinds of things, in the secret things, the mysterious things like dreams and, and that sort of thing. And of course, Babylon is a, is a place that is filled with all kinds of paganism and, uh, you know, uh, unbiblical type of religion, gods and goddesses. And here's, a, here's the king. He's had a bad dream. He's, sh- he's shook. And when we learn about the dream, we're going to see that an image is smashed in the dream and it's, 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 you know, basically turned into dust. And he's wondering, is that me? Who is that? And how long till that happens? And he's got all kinds of questions. So the king said to the people he called in, I had a dream. Verse 3, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. The dream NIV troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic and said, a common greeting to a king, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. So they said, O king, live forever, common, common salutation. Bible students, please note from Daniel 2.4 to Daniel 7.28, It's written in Aramaic. Aramaic seems to be the language spoken in the court of Babylon. It is interesting to note that while the majority of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, and of course we know the New Testament is written in what's called Koine Greek, there is a portion of Daniel written in Aramaic. And it is here from Daniel 2.4 to Daniel 7.28. The question is why? Probably because it's the common language of that day. And so you would go over to Babylon, if you will, and learn Aramaic, which is pretty close to Hebrew. We do know that in Jesus' lifetime, it would appear that that's what he spoke was Aramaic. And there are some questions about the dating of the book of Daniel, of course, among liberal scholars. But it is interesting to note that I think this gives strength to the argument of the authenticity of the book, that part of it's written in Aramaic and part of it is written in Hebrew. Uh, Here's what uh, one says, one writer says. He says, No one writing at a later date would have written part of the book in one language and part in another. A later imposter would have written it exclusively in Aramaic. An earlier imposter would have written it in Hebrew. And so the fact that it's combined is an interesting I think, strength to the authenticity of the book. And so, of course, they say, King, well, tell us about your dream, and we'll give you the interpretation. And the king said to the Chaldeans, "Uh, The command from me is firm. This is what I firmly decided. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. So let it be written. So let it be done. Not only do I want you to explain the interpretation of my dream, I want you boys, I know you're sleepy, (laughs) wipe the sand out of your eyes. You need to tell me the dream and what it means. Now, can you imagine being these guys? You're in your nightcap, you know, you're just barely waking up. What's going on? What do you mean? We don't know. Nobody knows a man's thoughts but that man. How could anybody know what you dreamt unless you tell a person what your dream was? They can't read your mind. They can't know what you dreamt. Now, there are two views. There are some scholars, based upon the King James Version, where it says, the thing has gone from me, that believe that Nebuchadnezzar legitimately forgot his dream. 
That's why he's asking these bigwigs in the kingdom to tell him the dream and the interpretation. There are others who believe that he has lost trust in them. And so to prove out that they are authentic, he wants both the dream and its interpretation. He kind of figures it this way. If I tell them the dream, they could tell me anything. Well, your dream means this. How will I know if they're correct? But if they can tell me what I dreamt and the interpretation, now we're on to something. I think most commentators lean in the second group that he remembers the dream, but he's trying to verify if they're really authentic. So he wants to see if they can really see behind the veil, if they can really understand these kinds of things. So likely, if you have a King James, it's just saying, this, this is what I've decided. You need to tell me the dream and the interpretation. Some years ago, there was a man named John Edward. He claimed that he could speak to the dead, and uh, he practiced what was called cold reading on people. He'd bring a movie star in, and this is some years back, and he would say, do you have an aunt named Emily? And the movie star would say, no. Do you have an aunt named Sue? No. Do you have an aunt named Joanne? No. Do you have an aunt named Betty? Yes! Yes, I do! Oh! Now, in baseball, we call that you're batting 250. You're one for four, right? Swing and a miss. Swing and a miss, but in cold reading, you throw things out. Did someone in your family at one point leave a ring behind as a family? <gasps> My great-grandmother left a ring. Now, how many people don't have some sort of heirloom? So they get something that you'll bite onto, like, um, and then all of a sudden, once you've bit, they start reeling you in, and you start thinking that they can speak to the dead. So John Edward had a live studio audience one time, and he said, there was a, a couple, they had come in, and they were really distraught over a dead dog. Now, I'm a dog lover, and, I, and, and John Edward claimed that he was now speaking, communicating with the dog. The dead dog was, he was speaking to the dead. This is something that he could do. And he said, the dog is running up the steps <laughs> in the studio. At this He's sitting on your lap right now. <laughs> right, right. I don't, I don't know what that looks like, but... People were actually buying this. And you're like, are you kidding me? Movie stars and, and the gullibility. And you're like, no way. They don't really believe. He was 0 for 7 and he got one thing right. And they think he's a, a genius talking to the other side. How was this possible? But people, sometimes they, they are highly suggestible when they're very emotional. Well, whatever the king's doing... He's just basically saying, <laughs> you thought your boss was tough, right? Uh, I want the dream and the interpretation, or you're all dead, and I'm going to turn your houses and families into a rubbish heap. How does that sound? So, but if you declare the dream, six, and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and a reward and, a, and great honor. Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation. Now, can you, can you say feast or famine here? <laughs> Now, you're going to get great reward, a great position in the kingdom if you can tell the dream and the interpretation. But if you can't, you're dead. This is job pressure. I know some of us, you know, you fought freeways to get here and your boss is tough and whatever. You haven't had a boss like Nebuchadnezzar. I, I doubt you have, right? 
And so they answered a second time, verse 7, and they said, Let the king tell the dream to his servants, and we will declare the interpretation. You can sense some rising dismay, maybe some little side meetings going on. He's asking us to tell him my dream. Nobody can do that kind of thing. Somebody go back to him. Somebody speak some sense into him. King, come on. Really? How can we do this? And the king answered and said, I know for certain, verse 8, that you are bargaining for time. Inasmuch as you have seen that the command from me is firm, I know you're stalling, I know you're bargaining, that if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. Okay? Maybe they had a bad track record. Maybe he doubted their abilities. I don't know. But he is firm as firm can be. So the Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king, inasmuch as no, notice what they're doing here, no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. No great king has asked anything like this before. This, this is unheard of. It's, it's unthinkable. It's unconscionable. Can you imagine? And the king's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Let me just say it one more time. If you don't tell me the dream and the interpretation, you dead. Off with your head. <laughs> this is it. I don't care how much you beg. I don't care how much you plead. It's over. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, verse 11. There is no one else who could declare to it except, uh, except declare to the king except gods who whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. The gods would have to do something like this, and they don't hang out with people like us. Wait a minute. I thought you guys had a, a connection on understanding omens and, and dreams and all of this stuff, but now you're saying you don't? Now, we know that our God is actually, actually did hit, make his dwelling among men. It says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus would say later, if you've seen me, John 14, 9, you've seen the Father. Matthew 1, 23 says, his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Oh, if they only had a God like we have. Amen? But they had false gods and goddesses that couldn't deliver anything. Because all they were were idols. All they were were potentially demonic, but all they were were idols of wood and stone. Well, the king became indignant, verse 12. He was very furious, and he has a record of doing this kind of thing, as we'll see at the fiery furnace, and gave orders to destroy, notice, all the wise men of Babylon. Nebi is angry, and he says, That's it. I've heard enough. Kill them all. And a decree is made. And he's going to sign it. The decree goes forth that the wise men should be slain. And they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Now, where were Daniel and his friends at this time? I don't know. They may have had a tea time. You know, I heard that there's some good courses in Babylon. I don't know. I don't know where they were. Maybe they were considered too young to be part of this committee. They're probably still teenagers, of course, at this time. Maybe they were off on an assignment but all of a sudden, can you imagine, maybe you took a sick day at work, maybe you took a day off, 
And you get a you get an email. Uh, all the wise men in departments A, B, C, and D are to die at noon tomorrow. What? What happened? What went wrong? I take a day off, and this is what happens. Come on, man. And so all the the hit squad goes off. I think maybe they're going to take people to death row, maybe or kill them on the spot. I don't know, but. All of a sudden, they go looking for Daniel and his friends, and Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch 14, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. It says in the NIV, Daniel spoke with wisdom and tact. If ever there was a time for tact to become your long suit, it's now. It's like Arioch shows up at the door and says... Daniel, you're a nice guy, but the king's had a really bad night and a bad day, and I'm sorry, but we got to kill you. This is a time to think of something tactfully to say, like, could we have a little bit of time? What's going on? Could you explain the problem? Maybe we can come up with a solution. And he answered and said to Arioch, the king's commander, for what reason is the decree? From the king so urgent, why so severe? Why so harsh? And Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. He told him about the dream. He told him about the interaction. And so Daniel bravely, boldly went in and requested of the king, 16, that he would be given, that he would give him time. That's a bold request because that's something that Nebuchadnezzar did not want to give to the magicians who were there before. He said, I know you're stalling. But somehow Daniel was given favor by God in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Well, this is faith. Daniel says, please give me some time. What would you do now if you were Daniel? Let's say the king says, all right, you got 24 hours. You're a bright young man. You seem to be head and shoulders above the rest. 24 hours. All right, here you go. Thanks, king. Whew. 24 hours. Tick, tick, tick. Clock's ticking. What do you do? Let's see. I'm going to go Google dream interpretation. <laughs> so i got to find a good article. Under What's that 1-800-hotline uh, number that you could call about this kind of stuff? Uh, maybe that's an older idea. What do you do? What, what can you do? What would you do? Would you call a prayer meeting? Is your first response to crisis prayer or your last? Let's see. I'll Google it. I'll call. I'll phone a friend. Uh, I'll do this. I'll do that. And then finally you say, go for a lot of options. Maybe, just maybe, we should <laughs> say it with me, brothers and sisters. Pray. What? Is that how we live our lives? When every other technological thing we could do or angle we could find to fix it? Well, Daniel went to his house. He informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter. They went, and he said, this is what has happened. This is what's going on. Everybody turn to Psalm 30 for a second. <clears throat> this is a psalm that may have come to mind as they had to deal with the clock ticking. And you've got to have an answer to this prayer tonight, or you're dead. Psalm 30. What would you do if you had a death sentence hanging over your head? 
Would you pray? Maybe you'd pray like you'd never prayed before. Amen? You know, it's been said that there's no atheists in foxholes. When we're facing death, all of a sudden, we want to be right with God. We want to have our sins confessed. We want to know that we have a Redeemer. When our mortality is on the line, most people become theists and not atheists. And Daniel and his friends prayed. Psalm 30, verse 1 says, I will extol thee, o, extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up, has not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cry to thee for help, and thou didst heal me. Psalm 30, verse 3. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from Sheol. Thou hast kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones. Give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Now as for me, I said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. O Lord, by thy favor, thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. Thou didst hide thy face, I was dismayed. To thee, O Lord, I called, and the Lord to the Lord I made supplication. Verse 9. What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will dust praise thee? Will it declare thy faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be thou my helper. Turn back to Daniel 2. We're invited when we pray to a throne of grace that we might receive mercy and help in time of need. I don't know about you, but I'm a needy person. I need the Lord every moment of every day. And there's a throne of grace that our great high priest invites us to, to dispense grace. And all you got to do is go to it, and he'll give you grace, and he'll give you more grace, and he'll give you more grace. He just dispenses it grace upon grace. And so they went to the Lord, and they had a prayer meeting. I can't imagine a more urgent prayer meeting in all of world history than happened that night. Can you imagine? Oh, Lord, just to inform you on current events, Nebuchadnezzar's having a bad day. And unless you tell us his dream and the interpretation, we'll see you real soon. I mean, this is it. If you don't get something from heaven tonight, how fervently would you pray? James 5.16 says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. How fervent do you pray? When you get certain prayer requests, you go, Oh, Lord, help that person. Oh, Lord, bless the world. Oh, feed the hungry. But if you are going to die, if you don't get an interpretation, how fervent is your prayer going to be? Are you going to be praying the little calm prayers like, Lord, it, you know, if you would see fit. No, you're going to be saying, Lord, please. Maybe we need to pray with a little bit more urgency. Maybe we need to pray with a little bit more passion. And so they prayed. Their eyes were on the Lord. In order that verse 18, chapter 2 of Daniel, they might request compassion. They pleaded for mercy from the God of heaven. Concerning the mystery, the Hebrew word is the rats, the Greek word is the musterion. They needed to see behind the veil so that Daniel and his friends might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. The Bible says, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your cares to him because he what? He cares for you. That's why you pray. Because you need heaven's assistance. Because when we pray, heaven is enlisted. And Daniel prayed probably like he never prayed before. He asked for mercy. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to have to move quick, but I want to show you something the Apostle Paul said. Because I think 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we would all agree that our prayer life improves in crises. Anybody? How many of you pray harder when you're flying in a plane? Prayer life improves. Oh Lord, don't let it be the pilot's day to die. <laughs> That's the only thing you got to pray, right? If he's good, everybody else is good, right? I don't know how that works out philosophically but, and, and theologically. But we pray. We pray in crises. And 2 Corinthians 1.8 says, We don't want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. 2 Corinthians 1.9 Indeed, we had the sentence of death. That's what Daniel and his friends had. Within ourselves, in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death <clears throat> and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. You also, 2 Corinthians 1.11, joining in helping us through what? Through your prayers, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed upon us through the prayers of many. Look, God is sovereign but he uses prayer, and when we're burdened beyond our strength, he says, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Turn back to Daniel. We'll finish it for tonight. I was reading a commentary, preparing for this uh, today. A man named Rodney Stortz was writing. Uh, good commentary on the book of Daniel. And I was trying to, you know, sometimes I like to look people up, authors and stuff, and Daniel, um, written by Rodney Stortz, this commentary, he died, I think, in 2002 or 2003. He was 52 years old. That's how old I am right now. And when you see something like that, you go, wow. And Rodney said something in the commentary in this chapter. He said, you know, I signed a contract to write this commentary. At the same time, I got a diagnosis that I had liver cancer. And he said, the church called a prayer meeting. And I went in for a surgery. And I had people in my room praying for me. There were people of the congregation gathered in the sanctuary. And they prayed for him for something like six to eight hours through the surgery. And then people praying for him in the recovery time. This is real life, you guys. This, this writer, you know, you, you look up and you realize he died 16 years ago at 52 writing a Bible commentary, pastor of a Presbyterian church somewhere, I think, in the Midwest. And you're like, man, life, we just don't know what's going to happen. And the Apostle Paul said, look, we need to pray. Now, we all know that Daniel didn't just pray in emergencies. We know when the edict goes out in chapter 6 that Daniel will kneel three times a day, open his window, face Jerusalem, and pray. He was a man of prayer. Am I? Are you? Maybe it's one of the toughest things in the Christian life to be consistently 
a person of prayer. But we need to be. It's a discipline, but it's a privilege. And so they sought the mercies of God. Daniel and his companions sought God. Then, verse 19 says, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. All of a sudden, they prayed and word came from the Lord. It was some sort of vision and he got the dream and the interpretation. Now, how happy would you be after getting that answer to your prayer? All of a sudden, I don't know how it happened. It was some sort of vision and God showed Daniel Nebuchadnezzar's dream and the interpretation. Would you be doing a little river dance? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, how would you be praising the Lord? Would you be worried about, you know, maybe I shouldn't raise my hands and worship because people might think I'm a little worried. No, Daniel was like, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die. I'm telling you, folks. Sometimes we're a little stiff in worship like we haven't been saved from sin and death and hell. Well, I, we don't want to get too excited. I'll wait till my favorite football team's playing later. And then I'll paint my face and go crazy. <laughs> wait a minute. Hold on. Isn't this the redeemed community? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It's okay. And Daniel wasn't going to stop worshiping. He was like, how many times do you think Daniel said, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Let me write it down. Let me make sure I don't forget this. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Man, God is faithful. And so Daniel answered and said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. This is what Nebuchadnezzar's dream is about. We'll see next time. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells within him. God reveals things that are, he knows a thought before I think it, a word before I speak it. He can see into the heart. Everything's naked and open before him, is the essence of Daniel's words. To thee, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for thou hast given me wisdom and power even now. Thou hast made known to me what we requested of thee. For thou hast made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and spoke to him as follows. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. I don't know if anybody died yet. Hopefully not. Take me into the king's presence and I will declare the interpretation to the king. And Arioch hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows. He said... I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to, to declare it to the king. However... There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Amen. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. And you're going to have to stay tuned to the same bat time and the same bat channel. For those of you who remember Batman. Anyway, next week to hear about the dream and its interpretation. 
And if you want to read ahead, that would be awesome. But isn't God good? Man, well, we're in a tight spot and we got nothing but him. Maybe we're in the best place that we've ever been. Amen. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the book of Daniel. Thank you for the lessons. When I watch four teenage boys show incredible faith, courage, which isn't the absence of fear, but it's doing the right thing even when you're afraid. When I watch them say, you know what? The false gods of Babylon can't do it, but our God is a revealer of mysteries. You watch Daniel not be afraid to go to a world leader who could have him executed on the spot and challenge the Babylonian ways and bring the God of heaven, the true God, into the court of Babylon. Lord, your plan is on so many layers here. See, Daniel was wondering about the future of his people as well. Would they ever return to the homeland? What was going to happen to him and his family? Lord, we know you work on so many levels in so many ways. And I just pray that tonight, as your people have opened the word, you'd open our hearts to you, to go deeper with you, to trust you more, to have more faith, to be people of prayer, people of reliance who lean upon you in the good times and the the difficult ones, and that you'd bless each saint that's here, Lord. I'm just going to ask you with your head and heart bowed if you've not met Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you don't know him as your king, as your good shepherd, just cry out to him. Just say, Lord Jesus, I want to know you. I thank you that you died on that awful cross for me. Pray it if it's you. I thank you that you rose from the dead and I place my trust in you as my Lord and my Savior. Please forgive me. Make me a new person. Make me bold. Make me strong in faith. Help me to live for something that will last beyond my lifetime. I pray that in Jesus' name. Lord, for just each and every precious person who will listen to this later, they may watch a video, they may hear this on the radio later, I pray that you would speak to their hearts about their need for you and let us go a little bit deeper from what we've heard tonight. In Jesus' name.